And Lord God, we thank you that you are a healer. We thank you that by his stripes, we are healed. Lord God, we know that there is someone here on this morning that needs a touch for you. Someone whose back may be up against the wall on this morning wondering what they are going to do. Someone who is being attacked in their sense of peace and joy and they wondered how they were even able to crawl out of bed and find their way and struggle into church on this morning. But Father God, we came expecting a touch and a word from you on this morning. Father God, someone may have just even wandered in off of the street wondering what this is all about, but they are at the right place at the right time because your presence is here on this morning. So Father God, I might not know every circumstance or situation, but your spirit knows the hurts and the wants and the help that is needed in each and every person that is here. Someone here is being attacked in their mind on this morning. They're being attacked in their spirit. They're being attacked in their heart. So Father God, we come to you saying we need a touch from you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray that you would speak to our situations. That as we are here giving you praise, that you will be at work and obviously conspicuously present in our situation so that everyone involved, so that everyone around. We know that you can do all things, but for those who are around watching, we pray, Father God, that you would work a miracle in the lives of your people on today so that everybody would know that you are God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Let's give the Lord another praise on this morning as we are seated. Again, I praise the Lord for each and every one of you here. Someone here, we want you to know that you are not alone, that you are loved, that we are in this together. And together there is nothing that can happen. There is nothing that life can throw at us that we cannot deal with because we are dealing with it together. So let's go to the word of the Lord on this morning. Please turn with me to Matthew 4. Chapter 1. Or Matthew 4, verse 1. I can't tell you to turn to chapter 4, chapter 1. That's kind of strange, but I think y'all know what I was talking about on this one. Maybe it's the heat. I don't know. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This lets you know that even though you may be in temptation, know that it is maybe a season that the Spirit is leading you through. Then Jesus was led 
up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Then Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Amen. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, these verses of our text on this morning have always been of particular interest to me. The time when Jesus was tempted by the devil. When I was little, I remember seeing scary pictures that depicted Jesus deep in a prayerful state, looking up at the sky while a horned and hooked Satan would be hovering over him, tempting him with the words of our text on this morning. How many of you have seen some of those pictures? Well, as I grew older, I began to disagree with those portrayals to a certain degree. I began to shy away from them because they seemed to paint, at least to me, an inaccurate portrayal of what temptation looked like. You see, as I grew older myself and faced temptation and even succumbed to it in my own life and development, Never once did I see a grotesque or hideous horned demon hovering anywhere near me, offering me this or that. I never heard a deep nefarious voice inside of my head when I was being tempted. In fact, the voice that I would hear would sound terrifyingly like my own voice. 
But as I thought about it and pondered what it must have been like for Jesus to be tempted at that time in his life, I had to wonder if I had simplified what was going on there to the point that I could not see it as relatable to my own life. Had I, have we turned the temptation of Jesus just into a little fable? A little story just to justify the scripture that said he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. As if it only happened that one time or during that one time in Jesus' life. You see, if Jesus did not have the option to fail these temptations, then they can't be called temptations. He was actually faced with a decision to where he could have decided to actually turn the stones to bread, to actually jump off of that temple, to actually bow down and get the glory of all of the kingdoms. If he did not have the option to fail these temptations, then they cannot be called temptations. Remember, he was tempted in all points, like as we are. Every day of his life, here, But as someone who is least at willing to admit that he has faced temptations and often sometimes failed in the face of temptation, these passages have become to take on new meaning for me. They've started to become alive to me in different ways as I have grown up and had to look at myself and my own conduct in the past. How many of you remember falling to temptation? Oh, okay, there's only a few honest people in the room on today. Don't make me come down there and start pointing people out. Uh huh. But in our text, I'm going to keep it back to the text. Hey, Amen. I ain't going to mess with nobody today. In our text, Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. The word says that the sky opened up and the spirit descended on Jesus like as a dove and a voice was heard thundering from heaven saying that he was God's beloved son in whom God is well pleased. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that does not seem like a normal, natural occurrence. I mean, sometimes we read over this account like God's voice coming audibly from the sky is something that we hear every day. I'm sure that it shook everyone there to the core of their being. But I'm certain that it didn't shake anyone to their core more than Jesus himself. Think about it. You were just told by a voice from heaven so loud that you heard it on your inside that you were the son of God and God was well pleased with you. Try to, if you can, put yourself in that position. Use your holy imagination for a second. You were just told that you are the son of God, the son of God. The word says that he was then driven by the spirit into the wilderness. 
Now, I'm sure for a good while he struggled to wrap his mind around what had just happened to him. Struggled to understand what it meant. The sky really opened up and a voice, the voice of God, really just said that I was his son and he was very pleased with me. It had to be very unsettling indeed. We don't know what he thought exactly as he pondered these things. We don't know the thoughts of the Christ while he was up on that mountain fasting. The word said that he was in the wilderness fasting and praying for close to 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days trying to make sense of what had happened to him when he got baptized. 40 days wondering if it really happened. Did that really happen? Did I really hear the voice of the Lord coming down from heaven? Did that voice really say that I was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased? Did that Did that really happen? Did I imagine that? Forty days reflecting and fasting. No food. Sooner or later, something occurred to him. Something that may have been in the very back of his thoughts since just after his baptism. And while it may have crossed his mind as a fleeting thought at the beginning of his fast... But after 40 days, the thought and the feeling began slamming into him like a freight train. And it was the thought that it had been a very long time since he had eaten anything. He was hungry. In fact, he was starving. Now it's home. Now it begins. The thought comes to him. You were just told that you were the son of God. The son of God. Why not test it out? I mean, you are the son of God, aren't you? Why not confirm what you heard from the sky when the spirit of the Lord descended like a dove and prove to yourself at least that you are the son of God by turning those stones into bread and feeding yourself? Hmm. I mean, you know you can do it. I mean, we all knew and know that he could have done it if he wanted to. A little later on in his ministry, he fed 5,000 men, not counting all of the women and children. So we know that he could have done it. Why not use your gift to feed yourself and tend to your own needs? Turn these stones into bread and eat. Soon Jesus says the words, man, man shall not live by bread. Let's stay there. Man shall not live by bread. Now, for one that lives only by the spirit, that would be true and an easy statement to make. But as a living, physical being, it doesn't seem to make sense. It would be foolish and unrealistic to say that we don't need bread. If you don't eat, you'll die. And if I, as a husband and father, don't provide for my wife and family's material needs, then I will be considered trifling and useless. But man shall not live by bread. 
We don't know how long he turned that phrase over and over in his head. It could have been hours until the word hit him like a lightning bolt alone. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yes, it's true. Amen. It's true that man does not need bread, or it's true that man does need bread and other aspects of material life. But pursuit of these things cannot be the focus of our lives or how we measure success. Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus knew only that only by living in the word would his life have purpose and meaning. And that he knew he was going to use his anointing to minister to and lift his brothers and his sisters. Not to get rich and meet his own needs. It was when he came to this stand, this declaration, this point of trusting in God that the temptation he was being presented with lost its power for that moment. Our world is full of those that have gifts and have used that gift and those gifts and those anointings to focus on themselves instead of using those gifts and anointings to make the world a better place. I've seen some exquisite talents and miraculous gifts that people have used and they use those gifts only to focus on them. There are many for whom the accumulation of wealth and material substance is their sole reason for existence. What do they say? He who dies with the most toys wins? Let me tell you, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And what you going to do with your stuff after that? You'll hear me say this more. My daddy always used to say to me, he has never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse, not once. Even the ancient pharaohs who were rich beyond measure used to try to pack a bunch of treasure in their tombs with them, and they left it. Then soon somebody else came and stole all of it and sold it. But that the only reason that they are here in their mind is to make take and get as much money and stuff as they can. Jesus knew and declared that we needed more than just material things. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I need bread to eat and I need bread to feed my family. But he knew that you needed more than just material things. He said that he, we would live by the words that came from our father who said in Ezekiel 34 and 15, I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord. So he made it past that temptation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let's give the Lord praise on this morning. Mm. Then he was taken up into the holy city, 
and sat on a pinnacle of the temple, and the words came to his mind, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, even the devil knows how to say it is written. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus then said to him, it is written again. It's also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, it would be very easy, real easy for someone in Jesus' position, the Son of God in whom God is well pleased, to start believing in some way that they were special in some kind of way, that the rules don't necessarily apply to them. We see it every day. Sometimes we walk down a well-worn path that many have traveled before, and we think that we won't end up where everyone else has ended up that walked down that path. Sometimes we think that we can do and act however we want and will not have to deal with the natural, normal consequences that befall everyone else that does the same thing. We think that what happened to everyone else won't happen to us. We think that we can eat whatever we like and that we can do whatever we want and nothing's going to happen like it happened to everybody else. Lady DeAndre will mess with me about it too because I'd be like, no, man, I'm not getting fat. I'm just eating these cheeseburgers. At Johnny's Pastrami, they know my name. They do. So here I am thinking I'm just eating and eating and eating and eating. And DeAndre's like, you know, you, know, you just can't keep eating. I was like, I'm all right. I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating. And sooner or later, I put on one of my suits and somebody done moved the buttons over to the left. She poking on my belly. Hey, what's that right there? I'm like, stop it. Don't fat chain me, but I've been eating and eating and eating and eating. <laughs> but we like to think that we can do whatever we want to do and nothing is going to happen. Everyone that gets involved in alcohol and drug abuse and other things think that they, unlike everyone else, won't be the one that gets hooked, that gets caught, that gets hurt or loses something. There's a man that I knew, a brilliant doctor, Respected by all of his peers. He was my doctor. He would tell me everything I needed to do to stay healthy. He could be kind of stern with me sometimes, but he was always, always giving me the truth. Always gave me good advice on how to stay healthy. But one day I was shocked and hurt to find out that the man who was my doctor died of lung cancer because he was also a smoker. I had to realize that his body did not know nor care that he was a doctor. That we have to deal with the natural processes and consequences of life and nature no matter who we are or what we know. And this is what Jesus had to contend with. 
The temptation to believe that since he was the son of God, that the rules do not apply to him and even the law of gravity applied to him. He had to fight the temptation to believe that he was special, different, the son of God. He had to fight the temptation to believe that he could just play with the laws of nature as he saw fit whenever he wanted to. The chances are that if he had jumped from that pinnacle, he would have broken his neck right then and there, being wrapped up in self. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was seen walking on water later on and doing some very miraculous things. Raised the dead, healed the sick, fed thousands of people out of next to nothing quieted the storm. He even rose from the dead. All of those are beyond the scope and scale of physics and normal nature. But those miracles were never for the purpose of bringing glory to himself as the son of God. It was never to make people worship him. It was never just to to test it out, you know, to see if I could do this for me. It was always to bring glory to God the Father or to draw us and all men unto him, unto the Father. Oh, give the Lord praise. It was never for him. It was never so he could just make a statement that, you know, I'm Jesus, son of God. That's right. Now, the third temptation that I believe was probably one of the most toughest temptations at this time was saved for last. Our text reads, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. But what is exactly meant by the kingdoms of the world? Many theologians have thought that this alluded to power over the lives of other human beings. The powers that the kingdom of this world represent. There is no doubt in my mind that if Jesus had decided to, he could have been the most powerful conqueror that this world has ever seen, greater than Alexander, greater than the Caesars, greater than Napoleon and Genghis Khan, and greater than Sun Tzu and Hannibal, all of them combined. The kingdom that Jesus established physically would still be in power today. Nations and civilizations would tremble at the sound of his name and the power of the armies that Jesus could have risen if he so chose to. He, in his physical mind, could have thought who better than the Son of God to establish God's earthly kingdom. God will rule heaven, and I'll rule down here. I could do so much good. I could end hunger. I could end poverty. I could make everything right. Think about it. The kingdoms of this world, if you bow down and worship me. 
Now, I don't necessarily think that it was worship in the traditional sense that the devil was talking about that we see it as, not a hell Satan kind of thing, but in the self-will and in the self-worship and in the self-will and worship that it would take to conquer the world. I mean, you have to be a really audacious person to think that you could have all of the kingdoms of the world. In fact, most of the men who have tried in the past were a bit high on themselves. They were all megalomaniacs. Think of all of the past conquerors or would-be conquerors of the world. They were so hung up on themselves that they could not hear anyone trying to speak to him. But in going that way, he would, in essence, be bowing down. If Jesus did that, Jesus would have been, in an essence, bowing down and worshiping himself. He had to know his purpose. He knew that he came to earth not to be served, but he came to earth to serve. Hmm. He didn't come to rule, he came to serve. He could have decided as the living embodiment of the presence of God to set up his own kingdom in the name of the Father and physically, by force, bring the whole world under his rule. But that would not have freed us from sin nor would it have put us in a position to know God for ourselves. Think about it. There were more than a few times when the people themselves tried to crown him as king. But every time he fed a multitude, they would try to crown him, and he had to stop them. Every time he did it. Every time a temptation that he had to overcome, how many of you would have been able to withstand crowds of people saying, you are the king, let us crown you as king? How many? They say that absolute power corrupts absolutely, but I've never had enough to know what that's like. So how many of you would have been able to resist being crowned queen or king of all? They screamed out, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he came into Jerusalem and laid their clothes in the road, giving him a king's welcome. The pressure not to get caught up in all of that was enormous. It was insane that he was able to step through that, but by ready for then, by then he was ready for it. He didn't believe the hype because he declared back on the mountain, I am going to worship the Lord my God and only him shall I serve. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise that he didn't come to conquer, but he came to set us free. He came to set us free from sin. He came to serve. That's why he washed the feet of his disciples and he would not let them object. They wanted to worship him as king, but he wanted to serve them as servant. If you do not let me wash your feet, then you have no part of me. 
He was forcing them to see him as he knew he should be seen. He did not come to rule. He came to serve. If you claim to love and follow Christ, then you are proclaiming that you are a servant. That's why I'm not down with this whole, what's up, king? What's up, queen? We are servants. I'll even go as far as to say samurai because the word samurai means to serve. We are servants. God, our Father, wants all of humanity to come and grow and become one with him as his children. Jesus knew that we could not make it to God our Father if he became an earthly king or ruler and set up a kingly dynasty. So Jesus says to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He did not come to rule. He came to serve. Oh, let's give the Lord another praise on this morning. I know it's a hard pull, but stick with me. Now, these three levels that the devil approached Jesus on attempted to appeal to three different aspects of Jesus' identity and character. First, by using his gifts, powers, and anointing to satisfy his own needs and desires. Secondly, and the second one was to feed his own ego as if the laws of nature did not apply to him and that he could make them act on a whim outside the plan and the laws that God had set in motion regarding nature. And third, to be an earthly king and a conqueror that he knew that he could be and have all of the kingdoms of the world bow a knee to him, which would have been another form of self-worship. However, it could be said that the greatest temptation that Jesus faced was not on that mountain or in today's text. The greatest temptation that Jesus ever faced, in my opinion, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we find out that Jesus really did not want to go to Calvary. He did not want to be crucified. Who in their right mind would want to be crucified? We see Jesus and we think, oh, he's so holy and he actually gave his life. He did not want to do that. He had to have asked himself, what is wrong with a man growing older and getting married and enjoying a long, fruitful life? What's wrong with wanting to play by the fire with my children and my grandchildren? I'm sure that Jesus would have wanted these things just like any normal man would want these things. There is nothing wrong. I look at Deandra. I look at Charles and Julian. I look at my family. I look at your families and I think there is nothing wrong with that. That is a good thing. What's wrong with me wanting to have children and grandchildren and a wife and to be able to contribute love and blessing into the world? Why must I die? Why? 
Why must I die painfully? It was at this time that he struggled most with his purpose. He says, Father, Father, if it is your will, please, please, please take this cup from me. Please. Nevertheless. 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 Not my will but yours be done. You see, because he said yes, you and I can now be saved. Because he said yes, you and I can now be free. Because he said yes, we can all have eternal life. Somebody give the Lord praise that he said yes. Hallelujah. I'm almost through. Now, to me, these temptations ultimately come to one central point that was being dealt with. One point. One that we all have to war with in our own lives and journey. Every one of us here have to deal with that. And that is the issue of self. Ego. They were all appeals, all of the temptations were appeals to self-worship, ego, for Jesus to in some way or another worship himself. You see, the devil does not care if you bow down and worship him or not. The devil doesn't even care if you acknowledge his existence or not. What he really wants is for you to bow down and worship yourself. Amen. Everybody don't got to clap. Let me break it down to you. What the devil really wants is to, for you to focus only on you, on what you want, to focus only on what you deserve, and to make everything about you. How many of you know that someone knows someone that they make everything about them? You walk in and say you had a tough day, and they'd be like, well, you know, guess what happened to me? Sooner or later, they make every conversation, and they turn every subject to them. The devil does not want you to worship him. The devil wants you to worship you. That's self-worship. To worship self is, in essence, worshiping the devil. It's following his Example, stick with me, stick with me. It's following his example. Lucifer got kicked out of heaven for worshiping his self. We call ourselves child of God because we follow God's and Christ's example. But children of the devil follow his example. And they don't walk around in red robes singing hills saying we worship the devil. They worship them that's what got him kicked out of heaven he was and is the first and the supreme narcissist oh I said we're almost done but you need to strap in now 
It's only natural. If we were to get everybody here and everybody online, everybody together and take a huge picture of all of us and print it up so everyone could see, who would be the first person you would look for in the picture? Come on now. Who would be the first person you would be trying to point out? I was standing there. I think I, there I go, there I go, you see me? And the person you were talking to wouldn't even see you because they'd be like, well, I'm over here. <laughs> Who would be the first person? It's, it's okay to admit it. It's only normal. It's only natural. But there has never been in this world a stronger move for self-worship than in this time now. In this time, we don't bow down and worship idols made of stone and wood. We have become our own idols. In this time, we can be as wrong as two left shoes. Know that we are being wrong and be ready to fight if somebody tells us that we're being wrong. Mm. Oh, yeah, we turned the corner. Narcissism has become an epidemic in our culture. We have made it a way of life. We have made it its own religion. Second Timothy, see if you hear something familiar. Second Timothy 3 and 2 says, For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. Little cancel culture for you right there. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Tell me if that sounds familiar when you look out there. Pick anything off of this list and we can point it out. Everything centers around self. The marketers of today have exemplified it perfectly. iPhone. iTunes. Me TV. They call it U-verse, not because the universe starts with the letter U, but because it revolves around you. Whatever you want to watch, whatever you want, whatever you want to see, everything revolves around I, me. I should be able and be free to do whatever I want and identify myself as whatever I want to identify myself as. And you shouldn't have anything to say about it. In fact, enough of these crazy folk have made it the law. We're going to get into some of that a little bit later down the road. Just stick with us. But Jesus reached the height of his purpose and existence by resisting the temptation to worship himself. 
when we resist temptation, we come closer to who God has made us to be. And that's what we're all about, all of us becoming closer to what God has made us to be. He has put something inside of you. He has put greatness inside of you. He has put gifting and anointing inside of you. We become closer to becoming our highest selves in God. Resisting temptation, resisting worshiping yourself makes it possible for you to live out your true purpose, God's will for your life. Constantly yielding to temptation makes it impossible for you to realize God's power in your life. You will never, never, never reach the fullness of God's purpose for your life if you are at the same time bowing down to the whims of your ego, to the whims of your desires and your fears and your urges. So how do we resist temptation? What is the secret? And I'll tell you, the secret is in the fact that Jesus countered every temptation with the words, it is written. Look at your neighbor and say, it is written. The only reason that Jesus was able to withstand the temptations of the devil and use the words, it is written, is because he knew the word. If you don't know the words, you can't say it is written. He studied the word. He meditated and fasted and prayed, and he made the word a part of him. He didn't come to the time of his temptation and say, well, you know, hold on. Let me go see what the Bible says about that. Because temptation was right there. He already knew what the word said about the temptation he was facing. He was ready because he knew the word. It was in him. It was a part of him. Amen. You will not be able to withstand temptation if you do not know the word. You have to meditate on it. You have to get it deep inside of you so that when you're tempted with anxiety, when you're tempted with stress and worry, you can say to yourself, the situation and the devil, it is written to cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. If y'all didn't know what the word was, that's because we have some new brothers and sisters in here. The word is your Bible. When you are tempted with loneliness, you can say it, has, it is written, he is a friend that will stick closer than a brother. When someone comes at you yelling and full of anger and you're tempted to lose your temper, you can say it is written that a soft answer turn away wrath. You got financial problems? You can say it is written that the cattle upon a thousand hills is his and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. 
When it seems like stress and problems are crashing in on you like a flood, it is written that he shall set up a standard against them. It is written that peace beyond all understanding shall be yours. When your past comes up to try to haunt you and tempt you with who you used to be, you can say it is written that he who is in Christ is a new creature. All things have passed away and behold, all things become new. Hallelujah. When you think that you can't make it and you are tempted with fear, it is written that we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. It is written that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. It is written that he is my fortress and my shield that though a thousand fall at my right hand and ten thousand at my left death shall not come close to me it is written that he is a bulwark never failing some of us are sitting still and active and inactive some of us even here are sitting still and inactive in church waiting for a word from the Lord but we have his word right there in front of us if you want a word from the Lord, open your Bible and read it. You don't need to go chasing after this prophet or that prophet. Open your Bible and read it. Come on here to church and we'll talk about it. Mm. Victory over temptation over life itself is right there in the word. That word from the Lord that you are looking for is right there in your Bible. You need to read it. You need to make it part of you. In the word there is victory. In the word there is power. Make it a part of your thoughts. Make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your vocabulary, your vocabulary, your vernacular. Make it a part of your responses to people. Oh, that's enough. Everybody stand up and give the Lord praise on today. Everybody standing. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go on and give him praise on today. Hallelujah. Come on, worship him. Worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on now, he's present in the room. All he needs is a yes. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, to Jesus I surrender. Oh, sing with me. All to him I
Oh, let this be your prayer on today. close, all heads bowed. This is the most important time of our service on today. The devil is real, but the devil is a defeated foe. The devil is real, but he is defeated. He was defeated on Calvary. Now we just have to achieve victory over ourselves. It is written, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our Heavenly Father will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able but he will provide you a way out. You just have to take it. It is written. Because Jesus resisted temptation, we can be who God truly made us to be. Since Christ resisted temptation, we know that we can have victory over life. We can have victory even over ourselves. Someone may be here that needs to know that Jesus loves you. He wants to be a part of your life. He understands and he knows what you are going through. He, but he understands and knows where you have been, what you have done, and he still loves you. He wants you to know that you are not alone. It is written that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation, old things having passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let him give you victory in your life. My beloved, there is someone here that knows that now is the time for you to give your life to Christ. Just come down to this altar. All of this time has been for you. For you to be able to come to know who Christ is. Let him introduce you to who you really are. Let him introduce you to who you could be in him. Let him introduce you to your highest self. 